When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. So when I started to lose weight, of course you get like, oh, you look so good, you look great, like what are you doing? And that feeds your addiction and your obsession so much that you might have just been dieting at first, but now you have a severe eating disorder and it's ruining your whole life. This episode of the Nasty Woman Club talks about drug addiction, anorexia, and other mental health issues. If this episode is triggering, please contact Lifeline Australia at 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. Kirsten Moore would describe herself as the sweetest manic depressive, codependent, everything addict you've ever met. Her life so far has been one hell of a roller coaster ride. From a young age, she had anxiety. In her teens and early adulthood, she developed anorexia. And at 21, she was diagnosed with a dangerous spinal tumor. Her roller coaster ride did not stop there. She got addicted to the pain medication given to her for the pain from the cancer, which led to her going to rehab. Like I said, it has been one hell of a roller coaster ride for Kirsten. It sounds odd to say then, but when I interviewed her, I had never laughed so much in my life. The way she articulated her life story with such a dark sense of humor just had me in fits of laughter and just disbelief that she just says things just so blunt and to the point and just so honest. I really do believe that you all are going to enjoy this chat I had with Kirsten. This is Kirsten Moore. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you today. I did a little stalking, of course, of your blog and where you're writing. And can I just say, you have such beautiful writing, but it's Aww. just so, it's so beautiful. It makes you feel sad, but at the same time, it makes you laugh, which is really, That's really awesome. weird. Yeah. <laughs> I think the people that I meet that go through like chronic illness and whatnot, and you know, whether it's mental illness or physical, whatever, it, they sort of just end up having this really dark sense of humor because you have to. Mm. And yeah, I don't know, like I resonate with certain people and they're, they're my people. So thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. That's all good. So I was wondering if we can go all the way back before all this happened. I can't even like list the things that has happened <laughs> to you because it's just, it just seems to have been the terrible cliche of, oh, if some one thing happens and everything yeah. has to happen at the same time. It's been a bit of a shitstorm, yeah. Yeah. So if you can take me back, what was your life like before you started to struggle with mental health and all these issues? That's interesting because if I really look back to say childhood, for example, I think I was like my I think my first mental illness that really kind of took over was anxiety. And I don't remember a time before that like I mean I remember being an anxious really anxious child at like five years old and like being scared of everything and watching other kids and just being like how are you playing like don't you realize the whole world is about to collapse like it was that's honestly how I felt all the time I think like looking back 
I think if they diagnosed me back then, it, they would have said that I had like ADHD or something because I was just like so, con- like so hyper vigilant and so anxious and so on all the time. But I think that wasn't really a thing back in like my childhood. I'm 30 now. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of came in the next generation, and anxiety was wasn't really recognised. It was just that I was kind of just this weird like little kid, really. I like a chihuahua, like on speed. I was just, like constantly like shaking and terrified of, of the world. And then on top of that, getting bullied and stuff. Cause I was like a little bit chubby. And I guess cause I was anxious, it makes people feel uncomfortable. So they're like, you're a little weirdo. And so then it just gets worse and worse and worse. I don't think there was really a time before mental illness, but it's interesting because I don't really suffer from anxiety anymore. My psychologist thinks I have major social anxiety because <laughs> I'm just like, because when I'm in a social situation, it kind of comes up the opposite of anxiety. Like you would expect anxiety. I talk nonstop. I'm like, like everything's about me. Like don't stop talking. And she's like, I'm like, that's weird, isn't it? She's like, yeah, well, that's social anxiety. You know, you're just trying to fill the space rather than you know being shy or internally focused. But yeah, I think the anxiety's gone now, basically. I was diagnosed bipolar in like 2014. And whatever medication they gave me for that, which I'm no longer on, it just really like calmed my brain down. And I think it must have rewired the neurological pathways because that was just, it's the most beautiful thing to not be afraid 24-7. I didn't, I never felt that. So I guess from like birth to when, how old was I, like 24, I was just in constant state of anxiety. And now when that went away, I was like, oh, like the clouds opened and a light shone down on me. And then the storm of my life, you know, <laughs> took over. <laughs> so it didn't, the peace didn't last that long, but it was nice for a few, for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was just a few months before the next spell happened. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I mean, at that stage, I'd already been through a few different things. I'd been through, like, my anorexia, so that evolved from being such an anxious child and then getting bullied. I developed an eating disorder. Well, they, they call it, like, disordered eating. I don't really know what the what the etiquette around talking about eating disorders is, but I figure because I had one, I can just <laughs> I can say whatever I you want. You can do what you want with it, yeah. You, yes, I'm, you had to go I'm through it. it. You back. can yes. <laughs> Claiming it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, in in yeah, it was very controlled. I guess nowadays they have the fancy term orthorexia, you know, where you basically claim it as healthy eating, but you are very restrictive and it controls your whole life. And yeah, that kind of got out of control when I was at 17. So I'd already been through that, which is, you know, sort of typical anxiety kind of control mechanism. You know, I sort of started to recover. I would, you know, I mean, anorexia and eating disorders and addiction problems, I think of eating disorder as an addiction as well, addictive traits. But I'd been through that and already been diagnosed with a spinal tumour and sort of was still in recovery from that process. But otherwise, life was pretty smooth. And then, <laughs> oh, my God, I don't even know. Like, I, I know what you're saying, reading all that stuff and just being like one thing after a bloody other. And mm. even I was telling you I'm writing this book. So you've read my stories on my personal blog page called gutterglitter.blog. But I'm trying to encapsulate all these stories into a book and I'm finding kind of what like the struggle you had in order to like put together what do we talk about because there's so much. I'm having that with the book. 
almost feels like a disaster movie, like one thing after the other. And it's like it's at, it's at the ridiculous level, you know, oh. where you're like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I've been in peace for a little while, which is great. But mm. yeah, at the time I was like, this is actually ridiculous. Like I must be cursed because <laughs> when all this shit stuff happened and then there's things like I bought these little kittens to well, rescue kittens to like be you know, help me through my depression and one of them dies and you know, under the house and I can, you know, I'm like, oh, I tried to go to a, a psych ward when I called the cat team because I was so hysterically depressed and my ex left me and the psych ward just happened to be across the street from his house. Oh like, my God. this is, are you kidding? Like at that point I was like, no, like I'm on the Truman Show and they're just seeing how far they can push me until my head explodes. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, it's exploding. You can take me out of here now. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, well, I'm clearly cursed. I just lost it. I just completely lost my mind. You know, it's slowly regaining itself. But I guess that's the hard thing is that, you know, you asked me when did the mental illness kind of start? Well, I always had mental illness struggles and you know my dad was bipolar undiagnosed but you know we very clear that he had bipolar I'm obviously bipolar had anxiety major depression all of these mental illnesses that people can suffer from quite severely without even you know the torture of life getting in the way and then all this stuff happened on top of everything and I was like I just need to power down for a while I can't deal with this and basically just crawled back into the womb of my bed where I could just watch the office on repeat for probably about two years Oh wow! <laughs> it was. It's been tough, but I'm. I am coming through it. I feel for people. You know, that's. If there's anything good that's come out of you know the last few years, it's been compassion. I definitely have gained a lot of compassion to people with mental health issues and chronic pain. Because after my spinal surgery, I, I I had a lot of chronic pain for a long time, and yeah, it's uh, it's all very, it's all difficult, and the pain itself. I'm sorry, I don't know if I explained that. So I had um, the spinal surgery to remove the cancer in my spine at 21. And yeah, it was a massive spinal surgery. My spine is, is mostly titanium now. So as wow. much as that was to fix, you know, a lot of my health issues, it causes other ones, you know. So, um, you know, you sort of have to work through that and you have to, you know, figure out how your body responds to having this weird bionic spine and, yeah, it's chronic, like it's chronic pain on top of grief, on top of, um, you know, mental illness. And so my doctors just like to call me a complex case. You're a complex case. I'm a complex case, which is <laughs> good for my ego because I like to be special. <laughs> you just have to be different to everyone else. You can't I just... honestly... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, gosh. So what has it been like with your friends and family over the years? Because of my spinal surgery, I developed an opiate addiction and that got out of control because I was grieving at the time and it was a nice little crutch for me to lean on. So, yes, I did end up going to rehab to get off those pills and what am I, like two and a half, three years down the track, not having touched an opiate. Whoop, whoop. Very good, very thank good. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, um, it, it has been like a huge and especially on my mum and my brother and like friends I don't know at the start when a lot I was grieving the loss of my dad and my best friend and my relationship they all ended within kind of a six-month period I was obviously extremely heartbroken and depressed and that I think was hard on friends because I didn't like just snap 
out of it. You know, it was it was really complex grief because it was so many different people, and then it was the heartbreak of losing my ex boyfriend. You know, we'd been in a seven year relationship, so it was a lot. And um, you know, I didn't have my best friend to to lean on, so I had kind of you know periphery friendship for, for lack of a better term but nobody that I could really just bore my heart out to and have them support me. So it all fell on my mum and my brother and really uh, mostly my mum because I, I moved back in with her when, my, when me and my ex broke up. So that was a lot for her because, well, she was grieving the loss of her husband as well and then she was worried about her daughter who's not coping and in and out of you know psych wards and on abusing drugs to try and get through. So I... And I felt for her but I couldn't I couldn't take care of anybody I could barely take care of myself like waking up in the morning you know I was at that time it was I was extremely suicidal and so you know at that point you're just trying not to kill yourself basically so there is no there's nothing else to give to anybody else you barely have enough to, to give to yourself so that was probably really tough on her but we got through it slowly I remember going to rehab because I went to a facility in Sydney. Um, incidentally, you can't get um, medical cover to go to rehab here in Melbourne. Um, in Sydney, you can if you go to like a psych facility. So if you're paying for a facility in Melbourne for you know three, three weeks or so, a month, you're paying 20 grand. It's just not possible. Wow. So you're sort of stuck in your addiction. Whereas if you, you know, it would go to... Um, a certain facility that you, I went to South Pacific Private, it's a psychological kind of, it's more like a hospital for, for psych problems, So, but they also treat addiction. So, you know, you get that covered for, you know, cost of a flight and, and your excess. So that's a really good thing to know if anyone out there is listening and suffering from addiction. Um, but, yeah, I called her on the first day that I'd been there and I was like, mom, do you, do you want me to come home? Like, do you think, do you need me? Like I'm panicking that she needs me to look after her, which is like probably been stressing, you know, about my existence for the last <laughs> six months or something. I'm like, it's cool. I'll come home and I'll take care of you. Like, well, it's probably like an addiction thing where I'm just trying to justify like getting the hell out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you insane? Like, no, you're staying, you're staying the whole time. Like, you can do this. Like, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like being there? I kind of liked in this rehab facility to, like, a, like a really, like, Lindsay Lohan-esque kind of fancy rehab. And I'm sure, like, it wasn't, <laughs> like, whatever she goes to, like, what it's sort of, like, holidays or something like that. Like, those stupid fancy ones. Look, it wasn't like that, but it kind of... It was on the beach in Sydney, like right on the beach. It was really nice. It was a hospital, but we got to do a little walk twice a day, every day, walk up and down the beach. And, you know, as a cafeteria, food is made for us. The only, you know, people were, people vary, obviously, and who else is there. I think the capacity was about 50 people, which got pretty crazy because I went in there on Boxing Day, so day after Christmas. <laughs> And um, and there was it was pretty light then I guess because no one wants to go to rehab on Christmas, and then after New Year everyone wants to go to rehab, <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of doubled in um, capacity within a few days, and that was very overwhelming. But what I did it wasn't just like a detox clinic. So if you go to a hospital anywhere, I think you can just 
be checked in and detox. And um, this was obviously you do detox, but they also educated you. So we did classes um, in, we did smaller groups and we did big groups and it's basically you have to go to the classes. Um, you get a bit of a talking to if you don't, which I did get a talking to a couple of times. But I was very sleepy. It's very, very tiring work to detox and also to look inward at all of your flaws. <laughs> like, fucking hell, I need to sleep. But, yeah, so you go to all these classes and they talk to you about how to manage your specific um, issues. And a lot of my problems with codependency came up, which was why my breakup was so painful. Um, and a lot of, like, uh, love addiction and um, there was people with eating disorders and, and sex addiction. It wasn't just drug addiction. It was all kinds of addictions. And so we did a lot of a lot of self-study while we were there. And that was probably the best thing that we could have done because it makes you, it forces you not to just get clean and then they send you out in the world and say, okay, well, you know, don't use again. And obviously you're going to because you have no reason not to, like nothing's changed. This made you sort of look at yourself and look at why you're using and why you're trying to, what you're trying to run away from and you know it wasn't it wasn't smooth sailing after that like I relapsed a few times but it was definitely the knowledge that helped me kind of keep grasping onto something like if I was to use again after the fact then I would be like well what I would always question myself whether or not I wanted to my brain was like well why are you doing this and it sort of just takes the fun out of it (laughs) so you're like well I guess I'm doing this because I'm depressed because like my ex didn't text me back or blah 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 and you're like well, fuck, that's not fun anymore. So it's just slowly, slowly you get used to that and it changes the way you look at drugs and alcohol. At least that's that's the aim and it, it worked for me um, over time. But, yeah, it's not like smooth sailing by any means. Mm-hmm. So what was it like then leaving rehab? What was that whole moving? Um, what was that all like? It was <laughs> – I actually – left a week early um I was there for three weeks and I thought the whole time that I was there for three weeks and then they told me no no you're actually here for four weeks so I've been counting down in my head and then that extra week I was just like nope not gonna happen and look I really firmly believe the longer you spend in a facility the better you know like I have um friends that I met in there that were full-blown heroin addicts um you know they would go to uh, eight months facility you know and then a halfway house because that's truly what they needed and I I mean I wouldn't say I regret leaving early but it would have benefited benefited me to stay but um I sort of started to get really overwhelmed by the, the people that the excess people that had come in in the, in the flux after New Year's and what it was like leaving I mean I it was kind of this is going to sound really like privileged probably but you know how like in prison movies and stuff the person walks outside and they're like feeling the light for the first time on their face and like I wasn't trapped in there I could leave anytime Mm -hmm. um we weren't allowed to just walk out freely and go for walks and stuff like that um you know once you checked into the hospital you have to work the hours but you know we were allowed to go for these beach walks once a day and 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 um leave and move and stuff like that occasionally but I just it felt like that. It felt like, oh, like I bought my first coffee with my own money. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm an adult. So you sort of end up getting institutionalized really quickly. Yeah. And and you sort of feel so, you have to ask permission to do everything. You 
have to, you know, um, sign out and sign in and, you know, everything's very much controlled. You line up for your medication at this time, you know, every, bedtime this time, lights up this time. It just felt like, like freedom, I guess. And that was really nice and also quite terrifying because the safety in having that controlled environment is why it works, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit too controlled for me. Like we weren't allowed our phones, which I think is really important because my codependency. I would have just been like texting all the time. But like we weren't even allowed um, sugar or caffeine. Uh, like it was the decaf coffee. I mean, we used to go off campus. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. To go to NA Narcotics Anonymous and and AA Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and everyone's just like pocketing packets of real <laughs> coffee and bags of sugar and stuff because we were just so starved. We got to eat um, dates, like the dried fruit, mm. and that w- that was the sweetest thing that we got. So people at uh, snack time would just get handful of dates. <laughs> that was our like oh like our, our lolly for the week. It was just so <laughs> sad. But I think this was more one of the more extreme ones. Apparently, there are other facilities where you can you know even smoke and stuff like that. But that's not. I don't know, I think for me it was good that it was extreme, but by the end of the three weeks I was like, i got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So how long has it been since um, you were in there? How many years has it been? Um, that was 2016. So, yeah, or like coming into summer of 2016, 2017. So, yeah, that's two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So since... Leaving rehab, what has been the process over the last couple of years? Um, in terms of addiction therapy, mm-hmm. um, I well, I have a psychologist, and I saw an addiction specialist for a while. Um, I, I can't remember if that was before or after rehab. Probably, I think it must have been around. Maybe, maybe I did a few sessions before and after. Um, I I knew that my addiction was. Was it was really bad. Like, I'm sort of making light of it, um, but it was really bad. Like, I was studying at the same time, and, you know, it was just out of, absolutely out of control, um, waking up at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning and, and doing my first, um, I snorted it, doing my first line of, of these opiates, and it was just, like, all day. And I, um, yeah, I got really, really sick. So I guess, because, um, you know, drugs are bad, um, they, it really fucks with, fucks with my body. So I already developed fibromyalgia, which is basically enhanced um, pain and enhanced nerve condition after my surgery. So um, full-on, like, pain and fatigue, mostly. And I was working through that, but then I had to also overcome all of these issues that the opiates were doing. And um, interestingly, opiate addiction or heroin addiction, you know, all of that it's all the same family, um, is very mir- mirrors fibromyalgia. So they really, my doctors really didn't know whether or not it was the opiates causing the problem or the fibro. Turns out it was both. In order to treat me, they had to get me off the opiates. 
I was really quite focused after rehab, which was a good thing to try and at least, like it was good my health was bad because that was the only way I would have stopped. Like I was in so much pain. I was sleeping 20 hours a day. I was just so exhausted. So I, I started like, I was using a walking stick, you know, it was bad. So if I hadn't had that, I probably wouldn't have had as much of, much of a focus. I just started really slowly by doing like one-on-one Pilates classes with a um, physio, like 20 minutes, you know, it, like maybe three times a week and it would knock me out. And it was like, you know, very basic stretches, very gentle strength work. And like over the course of a year, I was able to, now I'm able to do a full-on class and, you know, just go for broke. But it really was day by day, inch by inch. I would start with like a five-minute stroll and then, over a week she's like okay you can add one minute to your walk and it was really like I would come home and sleep for two hours it was exhausting it was so good (laughs) so good to see that I could actually get healthy again but yeah I think that was the focus I also did a music video I'm a a singer-songwriter and I and I met um one of my best friends in rehab or the hab as the cool kids like to call it (laughs) and by cool kids I mean junkies so probably don't use that and um yeah so one of my best friends he's a, he's a filmmaker I'm a musician so we just hooked up and we we kind of went manic because we we're both in our healing from addiction we went full-on manic and started creating this um music video post rehab so yeah we put all our energy into that so I had a couple of things to focus on that weren't you know just missing my drug of choice which mm-hmm. I I really like missed it like a freaking you know long lost lover like it was heartbreaking honestly yeah. and anyone um one of the addiction specialists did tell me um he's like this drug your cells will remember this drug for the rest of your life and they will crave it like like you crave water and you get thirsty i'm like well that sucks <laughs> but it's good to know that even now when I think about it, like talking about it now, I'm sort of like, oh, like I, I sort of romanticize the drug a bit in my head. Yeah. But then I mm-hmm. remember how long it took me get to get back to health and it's just not, it just is not worth it. Yeah. And at least then as well with the health professional saying that, at least it then makes you feel less crazy. It makes mm-hmm. you feel like, okay, this is normal for me to think of this drug as if they're like an ex-lover that I want to get back with, but I know in the end they weren't healthy for me. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 that's like it was so interesting when I was in, in the hab, the psychologist they gave me actually said to me, It's so interesting you've chosen this drug to get addicted to because obviously there's so many different styles of things that, you know, people can get addicted to and um and I was like, okay, that's why and um they said well this drug in your brain feels the same receptors as falling in love does so oh, wow technically and like i was so heartbroken it was sort of like i was trying to fill that void with mm-hmm. this chemical so it was, i just found that like that kind of blew my tiny mind i was just like holy shit like i really am just just want to be loved and it makes sense <laughs> It made sense with my codependency and my love addiction and all of this stuff that, you know, is sort of just, I'd never even considered that the way that I loved was so intense that it was actually becoming unhealthy. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just a romantic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually like, what's her name? And swim fan. I'm like, love me or die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After you've gone through all this, just, 
basically one shit fest after another. Because <laughs> I was reading your blog and mm. the two most recent ones really stuck with me. One about... I shamelessly have to say, I have used that line. Oh, my God, you look so good. Right. Yeah. What is that like, hearing that line over the past decade or two, over the past, like, basically past three decades? What's it been like (laughs) hearing that line when you've just been going, when you've been going through so much crap and you're just like, when people say, like, oh, you look great. Oh, no, you're not. Don't have anorexia. You don't have this, rah, rah, rah. And you're yeah. just on the inside, like, I'm dying inside. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you're referring to, uh, uh, I think it's not, I don't know if it's, maybe it's the last blog that I wrote, yeah, You Don't Look Sick. And um, I, look, now I'm sort of just like, okay, thank you. Like, I, I just, I kind of get over it. Because mm-hmm. I get, no one is trying to be, like you said, you know, I've said that, like, no one's trying to be rude, you know. Like, it's generally your friends that say that and they're like, my mom says it to me all the time, even now. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, thanks. I'm like, you know, it's, no one's trying to be offensive when they say that. But it's, yeah. it's more um, of ignorance, I guess. And, you know, if, if they're not, if the person that's saying that doesn't um, have uh, any chronic conditions or isn't sick, like, of course, it sounds like a good thing. But for us who are suffering, it almost seems like you're dismissing our health concerns so yeah I mean over the last decade particularly I guess I have a friend sent this to me recently and we actually had a huge argument about it and that's why I wrote that piece because I've heard it so many times and I just thought you know what I obviously have feelings about this because I was very reactive and I thought okay where are these feelings coming from and I guess it is because like you brought up the anorexia like I was so so sick but I was like I wasn't you know, I really, I wasn't obese, but I was a chubby kid and throughout high school. And um, so when I started to lose weight, of course you get like, oh, you look so good. You look great. Like, what are you doing? And that feeds your addiction and your obsession so much that you might've just been dieting at first, but now you have a severe eating disorder and it's ruining your whole life. And it got to the point where those compliments, you know, I was barely eating and I was Excuse me, I was still exercising every day. Like, I would be crying on the friggin' treadmill, like, wanting to die, hoping I would pass out just so I could stop exercising, but I couldn't, like, my will, uh, I don't want to say willpower, my um, my obsession would keep me going, very healthy um, obsession. And I was like, I am pale, my face is sullen, my eyes are sunken, my brain doesn't think about anything except, like, what like organizing which meal next and when I'm going to exercise and how to count these calories and blah 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 like I would not think about anything else and yet even at the worst point of my anorexia when I was literally seeing um I I decided to get help I was still getting complimented and it's just absolutely like mind-boggling to me that you can be knocking on death's door and people can still be saying, you know, you look great. And that, that's the one that really gets me. Um, lots of other examples, and I'll give you a couple, but that, that the skinny, like, the promotion of skinny in, in this world, like, it's getting better with the help of Instagram and all this body positivity and larger women taking photos of their bodies, and I've seen it in my friends. They're like, yes, you know what? Like, they've never seen their bodies represented um, in the media anywhere, and they still 
like very rarely do, but there's more and more normalization of different bodies, colors, shapes, you know, sizes across Instagram, which I, I think is really helping a lot of people. But yeah, we still are very much uh, promoting skinny, skinny, skinny. And that was, yeah, it was wild. Even when I was in it, I was like, that's just crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that you think I look good. Like I'm literally skin and bones and I feel like shit. But I would still be, but I would, it would still, it would still fuel the fire inside of me. Like, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, then other stuff, you know, um, that I mentioned in that article is, you know, I, I obviously had cancer and my, my best friend had a brain tumor. Like we were both literally fucking in chemo dying. She did end up dying. And right up until the end, we're like being told how good we look because we're following you know, these certain vegan diets which we were told would be helpful. We, uh, you know, lost a lot of weight because chemo. And, like, we just, I don't know, just, like, that is a mind-boggling to me, that you can have cancer and be really sick and people are still like, oh, you look great. <laughs> like, it's just, like, that's why I kind of wrote that article. because, And the same with the, the addiction as well. Like, I mean, because I, I got, again, super skinny, you know, and I filmed a music video at that time. And it's one of my favorites because I'm like, damn, I look good. When I know I was in the bathroom every 20 minutes doing a line and I was um, had vodka in my coffee cup. Like, I know I was a, a total mess. But I even I, like, do it to myself. I'm just, like, proud of myself for how skinny I look in that clip. I'm like, no, Kirstie, you have to remind yourself that's not reality. And it's so hard when we see these superstars on TV and think, oh, my God, their life is so perfect. I'm telling you now, like, I'm not a superstar, but I tried to be for a while. I'm like, no, it's so, it, it is not even a glimpse into their life, not even a scraping the surface. So I guess that's kind of how it feels when people say that, they make those kinds of comments. Yeah, and it's not like it's a bad thing. It's just something to be aware of that does have an impact, I suppose. Mm, absolutely because just looking at someone just looking at the exterior doesn't determine like how healthy they are how happy they are and it is something that yeah we do to ourselves often often I'll look at a photo of me when I'm skinnier and I think Mm. oh my god I wish I looked like that but then uh, after a second later I think you want to look like a version of yourself pre-puberty are you insane (laughs) that makes no sense (laughs) yeah but yeah, I think it yeah, I think it is so great though that you do speak so openly about everything that you've gone through through your anorexia, through your experience with cancer, through your experience in rehab and depression and anxiety. I think it's so great that you speak so openly about it and use that weird and wacky dark sense of humor of yours. <laughs> I bloody love it. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm trying to write write a book about it all, but Look, it's a slow and arduous process, not least because every time I write a chapter or an article, whatever you want to call it, I just end up like sitting at my computer crying, reliving these. Oh, look, it's tough. That's why I try and insert the humor because I don't want somebody to be reading this book or my blog and just think, oh my God, like this is too depressing to get through, Mm. you know? And there is a lot of humor in in addiction and all the crazy like these people that I was in rehab with the fucking funniest mental cases I've ever met (laughs) and like I have never laughed 
so much in my entire life and we were all sober and we're all just off our rockets. Like, it was hilarious. You know, I remember New Year's Day, it was 40 degrees in Sydney. We were so hot. We just celebrated New Year's Eve in bloody rehab and we had to be in bed by nine. And (laughs) so we were just feeling a little shitty. We all went down for our little walk on the beach in the morning and we're like, fuck it. Like, stripped off, ran into the ocean, and we're like, we're all like, you know, I'm, I was in my late 20s. There's people up into their 50s there. We're all just losing our shit, laughing, playing like we were little kids. Something that a lot of us had never done before, and certainly not for a long time. Look, we got our asses handed to us because it's very, very irresponsible. <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that, it's, it's such a crazy experience. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to laugh and have fun in such serious circumstances you know life is just it's not one emotion or one sense that kind of covers blankets the whole the whole spectrum of of that period of your life you know same with when I went to the psych ward like like you don't go to a psych ward because you're feeling great but there's some like weird and weird and wonderful people there that I'll never forget so yeah I don't know it's just um I try and include some of those life-hearted experiences in my writing where possible because it 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 does paint a different picture and you know you've got to you got to have some comic relief <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah that's just the best way to live especially with a roller coaster that you've had oh, yeah girl. it's better to have some comic <laughs> relief brought in definitely I'm hoping that I have a little, like a little bit of peace for the next few years and then I'll be hopefully stronger to handle whatever is next on the list. Because, you know, that's, that's at the end of the day, like life is going to keep going. There's going to be stuff that happens that isn't, you know, all sunshines and roses. But hopefully I'll have um, done enough therapy by then <laughs> that I can handle it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You'll be like that mean, hold, hold my poodle. Yep, I can take yep. this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for letting me speak to you. I did not think a conversation about bloody depression, anorexia, <laughs> and drug addiction would make me laugh so much. Oh, you're so sweet. I yes. hope I didn't babble too much. It's just so much to get through in such a short time. But yeah, like I said, if your listeners want more, they can go to um, the blog, uh, gutterglitter.blog, and if you want to get in touch with me as well, um, my Instagram, I have two different Instagrams. So I do my own reality show recap podcast, a bit different to, to what we covered here, but also <laughs> not really because I talk a lot about my personal experience with mental health and addiction and anorexia on that show because all of these women have at least one of those problems. So if you're Thank into God the Real Housewives, yes. oh look, you can't. I don't think you can be um, on the Real Housewives and not have at least one mental health problem. Mm. Um, and look, I go into that kind of stuff, and but it's fun if, if you just want some silliness in your ears. That's called reality TV and me, and the Instagram's the same name. And um, yeah, you can get in touch with me there, or my personal Instagram is. Kirsten Moore underscore music. I just forgot it, but that's it. And yeah, so all of my information about the blog and everything is on there. And when I get closer to releasing a book, obviously I'll put the information on there too. But yeah, that's sort of me in the last 10 years of my life in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I cannot wait to read the book. I Yes, I saw that you're getting through the manuscript. And yes, I cannot wait. That will be such a good read. Yes. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Honestly, it's 
it's um just yeah i mean i like i like opening up and talking about this stuff because you know as queen oprah would say honesty will set you free (laughs) so i'm I'm trying to i'm trying to be free (laughs) (laughs) yeah well yeah you got it you got it there (laughs) that was kirsten moore at 30 years of age she is now cancer free three years drug free and now over 50,000 words deep in her biographical manuscript. Once it's finished, I cannot wait to get my hands on it. To hear more of Kirsten's witty, dark sense of humor, head on over to her blog at guttergletter.blog. And also make sure you go to her personal Instagram page, Kirsten Moore underscore music. And if you're in the need of something a little less dark, make sure you give her podcast a listen, Reality TV and Me, where she talks about the real housewives of everywhere. Now, I'm going to be annoying and I'm going to ask just a little favor of you listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. If this podcast was triggering, please contact Lifeline Australia at 13 11 14. That's 13, 11, 14.